Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast, and I hope you look both ways before you cross the street, because on this episode, we're talking about at least one of my favorite anime from the last couple of years, the legendary Zombieland Saga. Uh, I, of course, am zombie number one, your host, Austin, for this evening, and who am I joined by? Uh trying to see what number i get in my uh my role within the squad maybe maybe i can get lucky and get number zero because that's always the unique number but as i bill the legendary <laughs> the the legendary bill foreman <laughs> and not only do we have bill with us but we are joined by an amazing special guest special guest please introduce yourself hi i'm zombie number five Cy catwell <laughs> I went five because I love you, Gary. You, Gary's awesome. She's so cool. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's hello, great to be here. It's it's great to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much for for being on the show with us and uh, sort of accepting our invitation to come on and talk about a show that I know you really love and that we we also love. Yeah, I I'm really glad I get a chance to talk about Zombieland Saga because I think it's a really special show mm-hmm. and. Um, while we all eagerly await the movie that one day will come, <laughs> we can at least fill ourselves with joy about like what we do have. And what we do have is pretty great. Uh, I know we'll we'll talk about this later. The ending certainly gives us a lot of questions, but oh yeah, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, until the inevitable movie comes out to hopefully answer those questions, uh, what we do have is 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 really quite a special show, I think, and. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, but before that, I did kind of want to um, ask you a little bit about about yourself and uh, sort of what spaces you occupy in uh, anime, and not only anime fandom, but in anime journalism and uh, working a bit in the manga industry and uh, teaching abroad in Japan and all of the many hats that you personally have worn uh, over over the many years over the last few years so um i guess just give people a general rundown kind of what what's your what's your resume yeah so currently um i have been working in the japanese to english localization industry since 2020 um i kind of got my first taste for it while living abroad in japan from 2016 to 2020 um in 2020 my start kind of actually got started with silicon era where I worked as a translation um, writer, so covering video games. And then I kind of grew into doing a lot of freelance work with doujinshi, which are Japanese fan comics, um, manga proofreading. And now I mostly work with light novels and visual novels as an editor. What are some uh, titles that people might be familiar with that you've worked on? So the biggest one recently is probably Qualia the Purple. I was the editor for it. Qualia the Purple is a legacy title, which kind of is like a title that has been wanted for a long time and kind of has a big fandom. It's a 2009 Yuri science fiction thriller novel. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, I would say that's the biggest thing. Um, In terms of visual novels, I would say that there's two. Um, Idea Factory's Cupid Parasite. 
Um, I worked on that. It's an Ultima game. And I worked on Raul Aconite and um, Gil Lovecraft's Roots. And then I also recently did a title for Sekai Project called Watamari. Oh, God. Um, Watamari. <laughs> Very long title after the colon. <laughs> i worked on very long title uh uh visual novel hey that's all of them <laughs> you know um and i have uh i have another switch game that is coming up that has been announced but hasn't been released so i can't quite say the title but mm. uh what i will say is that it is a long-running series and if oh. you like fencing and fairies you would oh. probably will be interested in it. Well, gosh, I'm for some people that probably gives it all away. Probably does, but that NDA, I'm not saying the title. <laughs> oh no, can't say it. Can't say it. We'll get in trouble. No. Yeah. Nintendo has their snipers posted. Oh, you know they're ready to take me out. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Well, uh, another another big thing that a lot of that probably a lot of our listeners would know you from from like the anime. Uh, review blogosphere and uh, podcasting is your work with uh, anime feminist so yes. um, what what is your what is your role over there and how did you get started with them so I am a staff editor at anime feminist and I do a lot of primarily right now I do a lot of the season premiere reviews so this upcoming spring season I think I'm doing 13 reviews because there's so oh. much oh. anime oh you poor soul <laughs> <laughs> well no like I take it on because I I'm I'm a big believer and I love to go uh dumpster diving for like the anime <laughs> that we all know are just going to be mid at best um some of the mm. titles I'll be covering in spring are Oshino Cole which is a really big title that a lot oh, of people yeah. are excited about it's also a 90 minute premiere <laughs> which, whoa Jesus that is a feature film um and uh, that's the one, I mean, that's the one that stands out most. Oh, I'll also be covering Kizuna Ai's newest anime. Oh, what? I didn't know she was getting one. She sure is. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I'm very curious about it. But I, I do a lot of premiere review work and I generally edit, or, um, I edit contributor um, articles. But I also do a lot of podcasting on Chatty AF, the anime feminist mm. uh, podcast. And I got started there actually during the pandemic. Um, I was set to record a podcast about women in Japan in May 2020. Because at that point, at that point in the pandemic in Japan, it had just broke that Tokyo University, one of the top universities in Japan, had been kind of falsifying cis women's entry like application scores and it was a huge scandal huh. because they had been keeping women out essentially of the oh. university they had been capping it Shoot. and so it's pretty horrible <laughs> um and i was wow. going to cover that but kind of as the pandemic went on by the time the podcast was going to be released it really wasn't going to be topical and what ended up happening is i was approached by chiaki hirai one of the editors at anime feminist and she was like, hey, are you interested in editing? And I was like, boy, howdy, I sure am. And that's just <laughs> kind of how I got on. Um, and I've been doing it for, I'll be coming up on three years. Wow. So uh, you mentioned being on uh, on Chatty AF. Um, one thing I tried to tune in, I, I, well, first of all, I, I really enjoyed that podcast. It's, oh, it's something that I... I keep in my rotation, but I really only listen to the seasonal stuff personally because mm. I like 
I like hearing about sort of what's coming out uh, that's like, you know, bleeding edge, what stuff is on there right now, because I just, I, it following the seasonal grind doesn't interest me personally in terms of doing it, but I'm fascinated in what's happening. So I always try and tune in for those. Oh, yeah. Um, so what are what are some things that are uh, tickling your fancy this season? Uh, well, first and foremost is Technoroid Overmind, which that is, is a mouthful. It is a mouthful, and Technoroid is actually it's kind of one of those anime that it's like a mixed media. There's like a video game, there's a manga, and there's the anime coming out right now. And Technoroid Overmind takes place in like a future where. The oceans have risen, climate change is in full effect, humans can't go outside without, like, any kind of coverage, and so humans have invented robots and androids to kind of work as helpers and assistants, and the series focuses not on humans, but on four androids who discover capitalism, because (laughs) their electricity is going to be shut off, and they learn that they need to kind of compete in this idol competition in order to earn money and not die. (laughs) (laughs) well uh good luck to them i guess you know um i'm also really into um i'm going back and forth on it but tomo chan is a girl is pretty funny Um, there's a character in their name carol who i really love (laughs) yeah i i saw a lot of you know this is not something that i followed closely but i saw a lot of buzz around um don't tell me don't tell me her name. Don't tell me her name. What is her name? Sally Amaki. Yes. <laughs> uh, being one of the few examples throughout history where the Japanese seiyu plays the character in both English and Japanese. And I, I find that very novel and very worth pointing out whenever that does happen. And yeah, from yeah. from what you guys said on that podcast, it sounds like she's a riot. She's really funny because one thing that I think a lot of people often forget about Sally Amaki is that Sally Amaki was born in America. Mm-hmm. Um. Or she was either born in America or she was born in Japan and moved to America very young. So she's fully fluent in English and Japanese and she does excellent. Mm. She does excellent. Um, I first came to Sally Amaki in 22-7, which is another idol anime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also really into campfire cooking in another world. Okay. Um which is just about a guy that gets isekai'd and his superpower is that he can shop online at Japanese grocery stores in this fantasy world. <laughs> that is that is his ability. And it's good because it's just a dude cooking a lot of food with his Heck giant yeah. wolf and a really cute slime. And I, it's okay. Great. <laughs> it's I, just I good. To, I hate to interrupt. I'm just curious. How does the does the shipping cost come into effect? Because if it's like being teleported so, from like one world to the other, the shipping of that has to be super high. <laughs> so they actually talk about the conversion rate, because so, oh like boy. the whole the whole system converts this world's money into like yen, but because it's magic, um, it just pops in in a cardboard box. <laughs> Amazing. Like, it's great. It's great. Um, and he turns the cardboard boxes into part of his bed. So it's it's really an anime about upcycling. <laughs> Reduce, reuse, I guess, you know. Uh, but it, it, I guess it puzzles me 
why wouldn't he just order bed parts? Well, or is know, it like extremely narrowly focused on only like cooking and cooking accessories? It's only cooking and cooking accessories. His, his ability is called <sighs> online grocery. Ah, uh, I yeah. see. So like, you know, he didn't get online Ikea. So a yeah. rough state to be. <laughs> well, I guess unfortunately his, his primary re- retailer is not a Target or Walmart where he could in fact get a bed at the grocery store or, yeah or maybe his rival has the power of yahoo auctions that would be oh my ooh. god i would love that <laughs> man Ima- you just wrote the next season I- imagine the product placement and the sponsorship yahoo auctions could do because they they would they could go bananas it'd be amazing oh yeah it, and that that's part of what's funny about this anime is they have like the products are just real japanese products like they're not oh that's great they're not censored it's just like the brand name it's very funny code geass pizza hut yeah like it's just suntory water or boss coffee it's uh it's it's wild (laughs) nice that's awesome well uh initially we wanted to do this episode during february as uh to sort of commemorate uh black history month but uh didn't work out for a variety of reasons, but that's okay. Uh, and I mentioned that because one one specific thing I really wanted to ask you about was that, um, you know, you being a black person living and working in Japan as an English teacher, I, I'm very curious as how that went for you. Like, how did how did your experience differ from some of your peers um, because of that? Yeah. So I, like I said, I lived in Japan from 2016 to 2020. And I lived in Fukushima Prefecture, which is the third largest prefecture. It's kind of at the bottom of northern Japan. And unfortunately, a lot of people know it specifically because of the uh, 311 earthquakes that happened in 2011. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. which, is, which is which is tragic because Fukushima is a really lovely place. It's, it's <clears throat> one of the prettiest places in Japan to me. Mm. Um, I lived in the capital, Fukushima City, and I taught at at my peak about 10 or 11 different schools including schools for students um that were disabled um a school for students with low vision uh and a school for students who were hard of hearing and or deaf um so so, was that like did you hmm. that because that sounds like a lot of schools uh, well it it is a lot because i i was not allowed to have a car as part of my contract so it was trains and uh my bicycle got me around trains bicycle bus Hmm. Um, <laughs> but so the these go- were were these were these schools close enough by to bike to or you mean like biking into the train and then out of the train so a lot of times biking to the bus stop near my apartment or biking to the train because one of my schools was located on a mountain <laughs> um so it, it it was a little bit harder to get to by bike um that was that was the agricultural school it was located like out in the boonies partway on like a foothill mountain situation they had cows um and they had this very specific breed of chicken that is is raised in fukushima that is super delicious (laughs) um but you know i had schools like that i had schools that were in the city my main school was in the city and i would routinely like i take a bus in the morning so i wouldn't be sweaty because japan Mm. gets very hot in summer (laughs) it's very hot and humid and then i'd like i'd walk past like the game arcade and you know like Mm -hmm. on the way back from work but 
you know, for a lot of my kids, I was not just the first foreigner. I was the first black foreigner. And wow. and that that is different because, you know, Japanese kids see black people on TV. If you're in Tokyo, you might see African um, people. There's a huge Nigerian population in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. But it's different to meet a black person mm-hmm. <laughs> than it is to just see them on TV. And so when sure. I first... Yeah. When I first went over, I had braids, you know, which that's that's a very common sight in America. But I remember mm-hmm. my kids were like, do they grow out of your head like that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. And, you know, that's 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 a perfectly logical question if you've never sure. seen that hairstyle. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so part part of part of my experience was not just sharing English, helping them understand American English, but it was also helping them understand you know, me as a black person mm-hmm. and kind of exposing them to that. And, and that it had, there were ups and downs. I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of the presentation of Japan is as a homogenous culture and it's, it's just not, it's just not mm-hmm. like Japan is majority um, Japanese nationals, but like I was certainly not the only black person in my area. Um, okay. I was definitely not the only black person in the prefecture. And I was definitely not the only um, non-white person in the area. Um, a lot of the teachers I worked with were Southeast Asian. They were um, Polynesian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it, I think it was good for the kids to have that diversity. But as a Black person, yeah, it was it was definitely a learning experience on both sides. Well, I guess I guess it's uh, it's it's really great to hear that you had that more of a, a diverse sort of um a population there so you you didn't feel so isolated and i guess you know as someone like myself whose world is very american centric at least my experience you know i would i would think that you going over there would be you know quite isolating but um, i'm glad that it wasn't as bad as it could have been yeah you know i mean like there there were certainly times where like i i would stand out um because mm-hmm. i'm 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 taller than like your average height Japanese woman. I'm five eight, mm-hmm. um, and you know, like it's it's pretty obvious. If someone looks at me, there's not going to be a question about what ethnicity I am. <laughs> um, and you know, there it. I I went over during a really interesting time because I left here in a, from America in July 2016, so we were still under the Obama administration, <laughs> and uh. I came back and things were very different. And like you know, I was I I experienced that kind of cultural shift while yeah. in Japan, but I I'm really grateful that my experience was positive because I do know that realistically there are places where black people go in Japan and they don't have that experience. But, you know, I, sure. I had the fortune that over there, I, I met all manner of black people. Um, there's a place in Tokyo I used to go that was a black soul food restaurant owned by a nice. black couple from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, wow. I, I never felt too far from home. I'm sure that that particular style of cooking is uh, extremely rare to find in Japan, I would imagine. Very much so. Though I will say in Fukushima City, um, I never wanted from Mexican food because there was a restaurant that had Mexican food. Oh, wow. And I, That's it, awesome. It, the only thing was it was very expensive compared <laughs> to like huh. going to, you know, like your your everyday in a strip mall Mexican restaurant. Um, right. 
Pizza was also expensive. Domino's Japan is trying to steal every single dollar from your wallet. <laughs> that is what I've that is what I've heard. Uh, I had a roommate in college for a semester who was uh, from Japan. He was from mm. he was actually this is really relevant. He was from Saga Prefecture, and this was before. <laughs> This is before Zombieland Saga even came out. So, you know, whenever I, whenever Zombieland Saga was announced, I was like, I was kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV, the meme. I was just like, oh, <laughs> my friend lives there. I love um, that. But anyway, it's relevant to Domino's because he told me that he he drove a, uh, a, Ves- or a Vespa scooter thing delivery mm-hmm. vehicle for Domino's. And he told me how expensive they were. And oh, I was yeah. just like wow i and i told him like the the disparity between like i was like you know how you know how expensive domino's is over here it's like you can get a pizza for like ten dollars and he was just like his mind was his mind was broken (laughs) yeah i used to get the american style which which was just a pepperoni pizza that's Um, so funny and that was like two thousand eight hundred yen the last time i got it in 2020 And so what I would do, right, is I would buy a pizza. And then every time you bought a pizza, you got to spin like a little wheel or select from three pizza boxes on your screen. And like one would have like a 25% off coupon or or like a 10,000 yen off coupon. And I almost always got the best one, which was the 50% off. And that's when I would buy my next pizza. (laughs) Nice. <laughs> Though I what remember, luck. I remember one time uh, my local Domino's kind of got mad at me because they were like, you can't keep doing this. You need to order more stuff to make it worth our time to drive all the way out to you. <laughs> well, it's not, I was like, it's I'm not, sorry. You know, I would argue, hey, it's not my fault that you put gambling elements into your ordering of pizza. <laughs> right. And that, I, that I'm, right. Able to, I'm able to win against the house. That's your fault, not mine. <laughs> Look. I you're speaking the truth <laughs> like <laughs> no it's it's so much more expensive but then things like sushi are just super cheap you can mm, go to your yeah. conveyor belt sushi place and for like $15 you're set it's great yeah that was that was the thing like I, I visited Japan back in 2018 but just for a few days mm. And that was one of the things that truly shocked me like a friend of mine who was living over there at the time we went to a just like a standard, you know, izakaya, like yakitori place. And like each yakitori stick and like the vegetables and stuff was like less than 200 yen each. Yeah. And I'm like, dang, this is so cheap. But like I've gone to places that serve that kind of thing here in the States. And it's like, oh, if you want like three sticks of yakitori, that's like $8. Yeah, it's it's jarring because, and I, and I guess it's just, it's a matter of like, what is the food that's kind of like relevant to your culture right because like sure one of the things that i mean the pizza prices shocked me but like i think the other thing that always got me was like pasta dishes and how popular italian food was in japan because like for every work party we would go and we would have something like italian food and i'd be like yo can we mix it up with some sushi and you know it's just one of those (laughs) things of like for me that was like a special treat but right and and i mean like after after a year in japan that wore off because i lived near a conveyor belt sushi place so i would just go like Mm. every two weeks i'd go and i'd get my fill (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah no that it it, it's it's jarring how much something like yakitori a really cheap bar food cost here (laughs) totally 
I guess my, my this is this is more of just a general question to Sai, but um, when you when it comes to your work for light novels and for uh, visual novels, I'm always amazed that I, I know it's there's always a long tail for stuff, but whenever I see like announcements from like a publisher like Seven Seas or Yen Press, uh, and they announce all these isekai books, I always wonder like. Where's the audience for this? Where are they? I know they're there. I just I I just want to know like where can I where where are they? Cuz I'm not, I, I just I know I don't I don't, I don't I don't mean to sound condescending. I'm just uh I, no, I'm just I, I'm, I, I'm just amazed. the same. <laughs> I'm just amazed that that Seven Seas and Yen Press are able to put out all these books. I'm just like Good on you. Where? Who's buying all these? Where? Where are the? Where are the people that get excited for them? Like, how do you learn about them? Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> that's that's a really good question because I often, even even working in the industry, I often wonder like, who has time for all mm. of these? Because like, let's be honest, a lot of isekai are the same thing with a different cover. <laughs> Like, you can only do so many, I got reincarnated and I have a sword and my power level is 99,000, right? You can only do so many of those um, before it kind of becomes the same. But I, my, my kind of like conspiracy theory, for lack of a better phrase, is that like isekai licenses are cheaper, and like a lot of times sometimes licenses will come as a package sometimes they won't sometimes like you'll get the license for the light novel and the manga like i think today seven seas announced on their wonderful wednesdays a um a new title and i honestly can't remember that was a light novel and the manga and so sometimes you're able to get both but like sometimes um I and I don't work in licensing but I believe this might be the case is that sometimes if you get like a big ticket license they'll say well you also have to take these other ones right. or like we'll give you these as a package yeah. deal um because like I've definitely ju- I've definitely heard that in the context <laughs> yeah, of anime that, that, that yeah. was that was a like when ADV filed for bankruptcy and all their stuff got revealed in court filings like a, a big thing we learned in that was to get the big thing you had to also acquire a bunch of smaller things in order to get the big thing. Yeah, so. and 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 like a lot of light novels. I mean, light novels are functionally just Japanese young adult fiction. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so and and I know somebody out there. Somebody out there, maybe they're listening, is like super passionate and collects every single isekai title coming out. How? I don't really know, because <laughs> that's a lot of money. <laughs> Um, I know that for me right now, I think I'm working on, I'm working on one, two, I think, I think I might be working on four or five different isekai titles as an editor. I, I'm pretty neutral on isekai. I do think we have a lot of it though. <laughs> I do think we have yeah. so much. And I'm, I'm I mean, with I'm, you. Who's reading yeah. them? Who's, who's the target audience? And yeah. who has that much time? <laughs> Yeah, like I, because I know like Shonen gets all the marketing, because of mm-hmm. the because of the movies and because of the video game tie-ins and it's everywhere in terms of like your general stores, your big box stores yeah. and and whatnot. And so I'm I'm curious about like these other uh, genres or these other niches within the sphere. I'm just like, 
I want to know where where's the audience? How does the audience find out about it? And where, and how does it get buzz? Because if it doesn't have an anime adaptation, I'm curious. I'll, like, did you did you hear about it via a certain community? Like, how does it how does that work? I'll, I'll tell you. A lot of it is from two places right now. One of it is Reddit, the light novel community on Reddit. I don't know how they get their information or where, but they always know. They always know what's hot, and they'll suggest it in spades. And also, uh, that's what Jane... I was going to assume too. Yeah, yeah. Reddit communities can be pretty, uh, pretty sicko oriented like that, regardless of uh, whatever fandom you're talking yeah. about. And and then there's also J Novel Clubs forums because um, one of the titles I work on, um, Free Life Fantasy Online, um, that one the first time I ever saw it was on J Novel Clubs forum. That's actually a lot. When I had to kind of we do these things um, called tip sheets that basically kind of kind of are telling us telling publishers and like people who are going to be actually shelving these books and selling them how to advertise them where to put them like is it a light novel does it need to be shrink wrapped because it's mature or it's older it has some sort of sexual content or maybe you know it's got a lot of gore um you know where what section if you're a bookstore that only has manga and you combine that with light novels you know maybe you need to establish a light novel section and so for the tip sheet for free life fantasy online i got it straight from a lot of research on j novel clubs forums because oh, wow. they also, you know, that's a very passionate group of people who really like a lot of light novels. That's where I got the uh, a lot of my information for. Um, well, let's see if I can remember the entire vil- uh, the entire title. It's Modern Villainous. Oh God, no, can't remember the entire title. It's, <laughs> it's one of those where it's like a long title. I, I think it's Modern Villainous. It's not easy building a corporate empire before the crash, and. Um, <laughs> I got I got my information for that one as well from researching through a lot of J Novel Club's input and like translating some of the stuff from Japanese. So like that is another place where a lot of that audience probably really is. They're a passionate well, audience. Well, I feel like my third eye has been opened. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about our anime series for the evening, Zombieland Saga.
So, Zombieland Saga is an original anime property developed by Psy Games, Studio Mappa, and the music and entertainment label Avex Pictures. Psy Games is a mobile game development company behind properties such as Uma Musume, Princess Connect, and Grand Blue Fantasy. Do either of you guys have any familiarity or affection for these franchises at all? I used to go to Uma Musume because <laughs> I think the concept is wild. <laughs> You used to go to um- I used, Uma Musume? I used to be a part of that fam- like that fandom. Um, I, I thought Musume. you were about to call it that family. <laughs> no, that fandom for sure. <laughs> I used I used to really enjoy it. I think it just fell off because there's so much anime and so many media franchises. Yeah, there's a lot, uh, but I do I do know for, in particular uh, Uma Musume seems to have a a pretty pretty devoted and uh, loyal fan base yeah yeah For i sure. i know cry games primarily because they are also the developers of the idol master mobile games such as uh, million live theater days and this shiny mm. colors one and cinderella girls one and probably one i don't even know about uh and they're usually like a grand sponsor for all the idol master concerts so the the mobile games that you have to take out a mortgage to afford. <laughs> yes, you to, but I have to get this shiny 2D picture of my favorite idol. Sure it cost me like $800, but it was totally worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so on the other side of the Zombieland Saga family is of course Studio Mappa and they are probably one of the most prolific studios uh, working in the anime business today, having produced anime like uh, the recent Chainsaw Man adaptation, uh, Dora Hidoro, which desperately needs a season two. Please give it to me. Uh, they've worked on the most recent seasons of Attack on Titan, uh, Vinland Saga, and uh, Jujutsu Kaisen. And the final group, Avex Pictures, has been involved in the production of a number of series, including 2022's Ya Boy Kongming, one of my favorite shows from that year, and for Bill as well. The One Piece Stampede movie and the and Bill's favorite movie of all time, the 2014 live action Lupin the Third movie. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> no, we don't speak about that movie. It's not good. It's not. It's, 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 are, are, it's not. It's not good. Are you not waiting with bated breath for the discotheque day where they announce that one? <sighs> no, I, probably the only way I will watch that movie is if our friends at Sideburns and Cigarettes decides to do an episode about it on their podcast and if they need oh, you... s- someone to to talk about it then uh, i'll be a willing volunteer to sacrifice my my soul for that movie sure why not yeah the, the, they'll get there eventually i'm sure it, it's also interesting they have the the connection to you boy kong ming because you know we'll get into the cast list a little bit later but the voice actress for sakura kaede hondo also played the main character eiko in um in your boy Kongming, and weirdly enough, she wasn't the singing voice of Aiko. I, that was a different artist. Mm-hmm. But she at least played the like the speaking voice of Aiko, and of course, did a fantastic job. I just don't know exactly what they were thinking there with not letting her sing as well, because as we see in Zombieland Saga, she's a perfectly capable singer. That has she's to a be dealing. Go, you go ahead. Oh. I, w- I was going to say, she's a very capable singer, but I think part of why they didn't is the singer that they got. 96 Neko is a really, really famous 
um, Utaite, who covers a lot of Vocaloid songs and kind of got their start there. And I think that's probably why. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, if they had this this prestige person they wanted to platform. But uh, I mean, I think uh, Kaede Hondo would have done a fantastic job if if, if she would have oh, uh, been the singing voice. For sure. It, it could also um, it also could be that music production is a big part of uh, funding for the show. So they said, well, we want you to use this person instead. And if you do that, we'll provide funding or you get access to this very popular singer. So mm-hmm. that's that's part of our contract. Totally. And the, the music in Kongming is awesome. It's, as such, it a is. Good, it's such a good show. Mm-hmm. So the concept for Zombieland Saga came from two separate pitches at Psy Games that ended up becoming one. The first pitch was them wanting to do a zombie idols project. And the second was about them wanting to create an anime about Saga Prefecture because that's where the CEO of Psy Games is from. So there was some interest in the company, at least from him, uh, to do something related to uh, both of these ideas. Many of the broad elements of the series were developed internally by the Psy Games team in a group titled PR Zombie, similar to Sunrise's Hajime Tabata as being sort of like a catch-all uh, for the collaborative team who developed the ideas for the project. We are public uh, relationship. On- <laughs> Sorry, we are public relationship zombie. <laughs> right, I, I love that. that. That's funny. <laughs> So they the the PR zombie team sort of decided on like a lot of elements that they wanted um, to be incorporated into the show, like the idea of all of the idol girls being from different time periods, and then it was also going to like generally follow kind of the accepted standard of idol anime, but also try and subvert that in in certain unique ways. And the the uh, writer that they brought on to kind of coalesce all their ideas is uh, Shigeru Morikoshi. Um, Morikoshi was uh, pretty new to the industry at the time, and he admitted that in an interview that going in, he really didn't know that much about uh, idol anime at all, but he was really up for the challenge of kind of pushing it through and making it work. They ended up, as part of the writing process, interviewing a lot of idols um, from different uh, from different points in time and sort of getting their perspective on the industry and on the art form and how it's changed over the years. And a lot of those interviews sort of informed how he wrote this cast of characters and their uh, drastically different uh, personalities. And in um, also in that interview, he noted that having a cast of girls who are all out of their element and very different from one another actually made it a lot easier to write their dialogue compared to a group of characters who are all pretty similar. Um, and I know the two of you have a lot more familiar familiarity with idol anime than I do, but do you find that this, that this plays out in your experience? Like, idol groups that are more homogenous are less interesting? I think, I think in anime, yes they're they're less interesting right because like you don't have kind of the real life personality Mm -hmm. um and so having having some sort of distinction helps um whereas i think in reality like akb48 is successful somewhat because of its homogeneity and Mm -hmm. because like you kind of know the package you're getting 
But I, I, I definitely think like it kind of plays out like that, especially in Zombieland Saga, that like having some distinction and having that flavor actually really helps. Because mm-hmm. if this were a much more homogenous show, I think it would be much less interesting. I don't know, and I would say that at least in my experience watching Idol anime, Idol anime either fits in two camps. It's either we're very all the characters are very similar, but we have a very strong narrative focus. Or we have a narrative, but our but it's kind of loose, and we're more focused on the character. So, for for example, Idol Master for me is more about the individual personalities and the characters and their interactions with each other. Whereas a franchise like Love Live, that's more focused on the narrative of oh, we need to save the school, and that is the ultimate goal. And I, for me, I prefer. Uh, the the first because each of the individual characters are more memorable they stick out into your head i think you get more interesting and funny interactions i also you don't get weird creepy doll character design <laughs> no offense yes <laughs> no, wholeheartedly agree <laughs> that's the thing too that really does come across in in zombie land saga in a significant way is that each one of the girls are designed so differently from one another to the point where I think like they've really created a cast of idols that are from a design perspective like kind of unlike any other idol team because everybody looks so distinct from one another but they somehow make it work because like it's it's not a it's not a individuality in the designs that make it jarring because they all still kind of look like they could occupy the same space, but they're also uniquely designed that they kind of instantly become iconic. Yeah, and it's it's even down to like the way that they have each of them move because you have some that lean much more into being a zombie, and then you have a character <laughs> like Yugiri who moves like a courtesan, and who moves like she's from a different time period. But it it does it all works together really interestingly. There's a cohesion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, Lily is, you know, her being the child of the group, you know, her her movements are a lot more, uh, a lot larger, a lot more frenetic. Uh, Saki being the sort of the delinquent girl is like more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I being like the experienced idol and Junko as well, their, their movements are more refined. And uh, Sakura is kind of like a balance between all of them. So there there's really... That, that's a good point, and they, they, they really use those differences to their advantage to highlight their, their uniqueness. So throughout the process of writing this series, the, the production team reached out to the local government of Saga Prefecture, um, which, if you're not familiar, is a pretty small prefecture located on the southern island of Kyushu, Japan. Uh, in a lot of, in some ways, Saga and Fukushima are kind of similar. Is that correct? 
So, <laughs> in terms of like, in terms of being like rural, yes. Though uh, the Fukush Fukushima is is significantly larger because, like, I I think I might have mentioned it. It's the third biggest prefecture in the entire country. Um, oh. With Hokkaido being the first, because you know it's it's pretty big, um, mm. but they're both similar in the fact that they are kind of uh, the boonies. <laughs> like <laughs> I love Fukushima so much, but I I used to live like near Bear Country, so like it's pretty. They're both really rural places. They're they're what people in Tokyo would consider like, um, the deep countryside. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So, uh, needless to say, you know, not many anime take place in Saga Prefecture. In yeah. fact, I don't know of any at all that I do think outside of this one. This might be the only one. <laughs> yeah, could be, could be. And again, that kind of adds to the uniqueness factor for sure. So the the local government, whenever they were approached by the studio, was apparently you know kind of cautious to work with them on the project in the beginning because they didn't know how it would go. Uh, but they eventually did come around, and the team was able to get uh, guided tours of the prefecture uh, from the local government officials to uh, identify certain important like landmarks and um, local festivals and uh, cultural touchstones that are unique to Saga that they wanted to incorporate into the show. Um, for example, the, the mansion that the girls sort of make their home in the show is actually the Museum of History and Folklore in the city of Karatsu in Saga. And the fast food restaurant that they make a commercial for, uh, Fast Food Tori. Oh, wait, no. Is that it? Fast it's, Food Tori? Chicken Tori? I, something like that? I was going to say, it's, it's, it's something with Tori in it. Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm gonna get this. I don't want to get this wrong. It's so important. I'm, I'm looking it up for you. Um, drive in Tory. It's drive in Tory. <laughs> drive in Tory. Thank you. Thank you. So that is a real fast food restaurant uh, that actually exists. And uh, you know, in the show, they show this like what obviously looks like a, a live action commercial, just kind of applied with this like painterly mosaic to make it look like kind of abstracted that's an actual commercial for drive-in Tory that exists and has existed for a long time so the dance that they do and the commercial that they do is like them actually doing the commercial that the company uses like regularly and has for a number of years so that's all like totally legit they didn't really make up any of that which i think is pretty incredible that's so funny <laughs> it is hilarious The series was directed by Munahisa Sakai, who is a longtime Toei animation veteran, where he directed uh, two years worth of One Piece, uh, the first two seasons of Sailor Moon Crystal, and Sweet Precure. Uh, he left there to join Studio Mappa in 2017, and Zombieland Saga was the first thing that he directed. The series debuted in the fall of 2018, with a second season following in 2021 with a total of 24 episodes and like we talked about earlier an upcoming feature film that who knows what the, what that movie is going to be like map has got to stop taking more jobs before that movie comes out <laughs> they've got to because this this is i i, I think 
it's one of like three films that they're supposed to put out that are all like to be announced and i just really want the zombieland saga movie experience I feel for the poor folks that have been waiting for ages for that Yuri on Ice movie. You mean Yuri on Ice, the movie Ice Adolescence? <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. Uh, and man, I, I'm the I people. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're the people. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, like, I, I don't know, man. Like, yeah. there, there's been a lot of uh, discourse and uh, news stories about uh, Studio Mappa and their very questionable choices as an anime studio so uh, my my deepest hope in a nutshell is that they will stop yeah yeah though i i wonder with with chainsaw man's success i think they're kind of uh pigeonholed into continuing and that's the thing like i feel like something has to break at some point and we're we're either going to not get follow-ups to a lot of their projects or a lot of the follow-ups to their projects will be like passed on to other studios that may or may not do as good of a job uh, oh, yeah. when we probably could have avoided this situation in the first place by not taking on so many projects studio mappa i'm talking to you i know you're listening to me or i know yeah. you can or, hear me worst case scenario they go the studio gonza route and like the first couple episodes look great and then it just all goes downhill from there oh that'd no. be that'd be bad that'd be real bad that'd be real bad uh, so the the cast list of Zombieland Saga is as follows. We have our main character, Sakura Minamoto. Uh, she is uh, a, uh, played by Kaede Hondo, who, like we said earlier, is Eiko in Your Boy Kongming. She is Fearis in Atelier Fearis. And she is Elena in The Wandering Witch Journey of Elena, something I watched the first episode of not too long ago and thought it was actually pretty cool. <laughs> it's, Sakura is our perky upbeat main character which is a very common trope within idol shows mm -hmm. so and we'll definitely talk about this but i think one thing that's great about sakura and she might be my favorite character of the whole group is that like yes she's she's the perky and upbeat one but she's also very much wears her anxieties on her sleeve and is not shy about that but she still projects this strength of like oh i know i'm concerned about xyz or oh i have these personal hang-ups going on with my within myself but i'm going to you know try and keep this group together and keep focused on the goal and like kind of learn as i as i go along and then uh zombie number two are the leader of their group the appointed leader of their group is a uh, saki nikaido she is like a 90s delinquent biker girl played by asami tano who is cure sunny in smile precure she is mitsuri kirijo in persona 3 and sarah kazuno in love live sunshine so she has a uh, a history being an say, idol anime herself the whiplash between mitsuru and cure sunny <laughs> that's so funny that's so funny quite the range i suppose then we have i mizuno is our, she's our sort of 2000s era idol and she's the former member of the idol group iron frill so she has a lot of like experience in this industry having done it before in a previous life she is played by risa taneda who is kaori miyazono in your lie in april she is mirai kuriyama in beyond the boundary 
and a whopping eight characters in Kantai collection, which I've come to understand is actually not that many. I was going to say that's a lot of boats, but like, wait, are they the boat girls or the weapon girls? I think Kantai collection is the boat girls. These are the boat girls. That is correct. The girls that are actual, these are the girls that are actual boats. Yeah, yeah. So they're like they're like anthropomorphic, cute anime girl versions of boats. Yes, <laughs> now I remember. <laughs> there's there's something for everybody in this world. You like True. boats? You got a cute boat girl. Yep. Uh, Junko Kano is our uh, 1980s era idol, played by Maki Kawase, who is Yuna in Kuma 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 Bear and a number of bit characters in Kageki Shoujo and Vinland Saga. She's also Tsukasa Kiryu in Idolmaster Cinderella Girls. So Another idol connection. Uh, Yugiri is our uh, 1800s era courtesan, and she is played by Rika Kunigawa, who is Narita Bryan in Uma Musume, so another returning champion from that franchise, and some other bit characters in a couple of other projects. She doesn't really have a super huge resume. So the former child star, Lily Hoshikawa, she is played by Minami Tanaka, who is Yumechi in Akiba Maid War. She is Mary Saotome in Kakegururi. She is Minami Katayama in Wake Up Girls, so another idol. And of course, most legendarily, she is Thomas the Tank Engine in Thomas and Friends All Engines Go. <laughs> the best idol. Well, we got ta- we got we got a uh, we got boat girls. We need train girls. I'm oh, shocked that's not a thing. Don't worry. It's some I bet it's already out and you just don't know about I was it. Say, you're asking Probably. to curl the monkey's paw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, how could we forget the legendary Tai Yamada? is played by the equally legendary Kotono Mitsuishi, who everyone listening to this podcast probably already knows. She is Usagi in Sailor Moon. She is Misato in Evangelion. She is Boa Hancock in One Piece. She is Juri in Revolutionary Girl Utena. And yeah, she's just as legendary as Tayamata herself. I genuinely love that they chose such a storied voice actress for a character that really doesn't do more than groan. Right? (laughs) Apparently. So funny. So since the director was a Toei veteran, you know, he had worked with Mitsuishi previously on the Sailor Moon Crystal show. Mm. So I think the reason why the team thought to ask her is because, you know, she already had this rapport with this director and, uh, you know, naturally they were not confident that she would be interested in a role like this because it, uh, on its, on its face value, kind of like you alluded to, it seems a little beneath her with her, with her caliber, but she was apparently super down to do it because it was just something different she had never done before. So that's I think really that's awesome. Funny. I love that. I love that and I really respect that. Yeah, totally. And our, our main uh, dude character, our producer, Kotaro Tatsumi, is played by Mamoru Miyano, who is, of course, Okabe Rintaro in Steins Gate. He is Light Yagami in Death Note. Rin in Free, Riku in Kingdom Hearts, Ryuji in Persona 5, Reinhardt in the new Legend of the Galactic Heroes, and he will be Mario 
in the Japanese dub of the new Nintendo and Illumination Super Mario Bros. movie. Eat your heart out, Chris Pratt. I want to watch the Japanese dub. (laughs) I love that. So good. I cannot wait for that. I'm so excited. (laughs) That's going to be hype. And it's perfect Um, casting because, like, this the role he just goes full ham which he's no stranger to doing that especially uh with like yagami and death note who would do these grand over-the-top monologues so mm-hmm. perfect totally. perfect fit yeah every time he says good morning to the girls <laughs> is is mm, chef's kiss it's just so funny <laughs> it is i need to i need to rig up an alarm clock that will do that for me Oh, you'll definitely wake up. <laughs> and another nod to a Sailor Moon, uh, Romero the dog is voiced by Yasuhiro Takato, who is the original voice of Artemis in Sailor Moon. So that basically breaks down our core cast. You know, there's definitely a lot of other uh, notable people we could talk about, but that's basically the the solid crew that we have for our main characters. So what is this? what is this series about? Okay, so it kind of opens up uh, on a you know bright and sunny day in uh, 2008, and our POV character Sakura Minamoto is watching an idol performance from one of her favorite groups, uh, Iron Frill. She's watching it on TV, and uh, she she's heading out the door, ready to have a wonderful day, and bam, she is unceremoniously hit by an oncoming truck and killed instantly. It's it is one of the killed or killed by a death metal. We're not quite sure. <laughs> Yeah, there's this beautiful, incredible death metal scream as she slow motion flies through the air. <laughs> and it's just so iconic. It 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 instantly gets you prepared for this series being a fun, wild ride. And I think that the, those first few minutes of this show are really what sold it to me. Yeah, no, like that that opening is one of the most memorable things on earth because you you really don't expect it if you go into the series not knowing the plot you have no clue that she's just gonna get hit by a truck (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like you can kind of assume that something bad is going to happen to her to turn her into a zombie right because you are watching zombie land saga after all so the title does prepare you a little bit to think oh something bad is going to happen to this girl but you cannot be prepared for exactly how they do it and how they do it is masterful it's it's so good it's so good (laughs) so uh after that happens uh she's she is killed and she wakes up in this very spooky building like 10 years later she finds out she does she doesn't know exactly how much time has passed she doesn't even realize she's dead at this point but she's basically found herself in this mysterious compound uh basically kidnapped uh, effectively by this eccentric man named Kotaro who wears a red vest and uh, sunglasses and has dried squid in his pocket just a real freaky weirdo and it's her and six other zombie girls that have been uh, somehow resurrected from the dead and then Kotaro our eccentric producer explains that he is putting together an idol group out of these dead girls to save Saga and chaos basically ensues from there that's basically the first half of the first episode so good so whenever you guys encountered the series for the first time what did you think of it 
on your first watch and what do you think of it now it's funny for me i i'm usually good about keeping up with the seasonal stuff and when this was show was initially coming out i was like oh that's an interesting premise i'll give i'll give it a try and it immediately got me because that first episode is a great hook that gets you invested of just how is this going to work out? What is going on? You're just a bit lost, and then it slowly dawns on you what's happening. Uh, I really enjoy the series overall. I, th- I think it's a very strong character piece. All the idols are very distinctive. Uh, we'll get into it later, but I think the second season loses a bit of steam. And I'm not a big fan of the mystery of, like, how were they raised? What is the ultimate goal? Why does he have to save Saga? To me, that they kind of went on the back burner. Uh, I think that's going to be more of a question. It's going to be more of the focus in the movie, probably. I will go. I will go watch the movie, of course. Maybe they'll do a fathom event. I don't know, but I, I'm more and less just enjoyed the character interactions, and I would just be happy with more of that. So I I came, I think I came to the series, so I was definitely living in Japan when it came out, and I had kind of gone through a dry spell, and like, the last anime before this that I had really watched, like, really followed was Yuri on Ice, and that was in 2016, and like, I was, I, I think I watched the first episode, and like a lot of people, was not expecting to see Sakura get hit by a truck. <laughs> <laughs> And that that did it for me. That was enough. And I I don't think at the time I followed this like week to week. I think I ended up like falling off because life. And then I came back and watched it all. And I was super impressed with it because it's it's just such a fun series. And it it is nice to see like how are these girls going to save Saga? And then you see all kind of the harebrained schemes that Kotaro comes up with to help them do that. Uh, ranging from, like, them, you know, singing at a at a company retreat for a mus- like a like a icy hot patch company, to <laughs> uh, the, everything about Drive and Tori, <laughs> everything about that restaurant commercial they shoot. Um, at the time, I thought it was really cool. Now, I just really love it. I think it's a really great series, and I. I wish the movie had come out so the momentum behind it could have kind of kept going because it's a really good idol series that because it has someone working on it who's not necessarily a fan of idols is kind of for everyone. That's very true. And I felt something quite similar whenever I watched it for the first time because as I've alluded to, idol anime, I enjoy. They're not my principal fandom. But I find I found an instant connection to the series because of that absurd premise. I was just instantly smitten with it because I thought, oh, this is a really unique take on zombies um, that I had not seen before. And it kind of poked that bear a little bit of, of kind of the horror angle. But it mostly focused on on the comedy and the camaraderie between the girls and their like personality frictions and you know learning to come together as a group and sort of as as it goes along you know their 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 characters develop and and grow stronger between each other and it's just mm-hmm. hilarious like some of the gags are absolutely incredible like in the first episode basically the the premise is that like Sakura is the only one who has woken up 
from her zombified state and all of the girls like Kotaro is like well we we, we got to get these girls to wake up somehow to like regain their consciousness so they put on like a heavy metal like deathcore show or something like that <laughs> um yeah. which yeah. which introduces us to two to two prominent side characters that show up throughout the 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 run of the series pretty consistently in the background they're like the the rosencrantz and gildenstern of franchise basically which i want to interject in the dub they're british yeah <laughs> they're i don't know what's up with that british <laughs> which is really funny it's quite funny but yeah they and then they they and then that shocked me because the tonal di- I, I find that the humor and the tonal dissonance between idols and heavy metal death screaming I mean we see that in something like baby metal and I think that's the gift that keeps on giving oh yeah so the fact that they started off the show with that and then in episode 2 they keep it going even further that's how I knew that this show was going to be a masterpiece because of the rap battle oh which that rap battle I, is so good which that blew up the show on the internet that that, yeah. that that episode is what got people to beyond the idol spear check check the show out i'm i'm curious how the dub sounded in the english dub because of yeah in in the Jap- in the japanese it's is very um tightly worded so where they're going at rapid pace at a, at a certain point <laughs> so i would i would feel pretty bad for the dub actors that have to match all those lip flaps I will say, like, I don't know what Crunchyroll's magic was with this, but they've kept pretty much everything, even in the dub, is in Japanese. There's a few things where they sing a little in English. Like, I think they do they do a version of Mizami Returner um, in English, but, like, it's just them, like, saying the words, not, like, full-on singing. And then when they sing, it switches into Japanese. But they did keep the rap in Japanese, which was good for streaming because yeah i can't imagine trying to do this in english because you kind of need the really tight wordplay of japanese that's a weird dissonant i'm I'm glad you brought that up because that's a weird inconsistency between releases of this series and i originally watched the series mostly as it was airing Mm -hmm. so the first time i watched season one specifically was you know all in japanese the english dub hadn't come out yet and then, of course, you know, they release it on home video, and then they put it up on streaming, available on Funimation Now. Is that even still around? And Crunchyroll. And, you know, in, in us talking a little bit before the show, apparently the version that's on Crunchyroll for the English dub has all of the dialogue in English, but all the songs are still in Japanese. But yeah. if you turn on the English dub on the Blu-ray, all the songs are dubbed. Oh, that's curious. It is very curious. I wonder I wonder what the incentive here is. Maybe it's like a way to, you know, incentivize people picking up the home release so that they can get those English songs. I'm not really sure. Because I, I will say a lot of the English, a lot of the dub cast are singers. Like they, they quite a few of them have a singing background. Um, most interesting, Taya Yamada, who doesn't sing. Her voice actress has a notable singing background. <laughs> <laughs> really? Um, yeah, yeah. So Taya Yamada's voice actress in English is Dawn Bennett. And um, fun fact, I actually knew Dawn growing up. Um, really? We lived, we both lived in um, 
an area, a neighborhood in Dallas, um, went to schools that were like in the same district. So I, I, I knew Don growing up like as as a friend and as a friend through other friends and so Don was also in choir in high school and I know Don can sing and Don went to the Berkeley College of Music so it, it's wow. it's it's funny that um it's funny that she plays a character in the dub cast that doesn't sing at all <laughs> um, I I guess unless you get the Blu-ray and then you can you can hear all of the the dub actors sing. I will say, I I would find it hard only because I think those songs are so iconic in Japanese. And I think when you when you when you when you're listening to something about Japanese idols, you're kind of expecting it to be in Japanese. So like, I would be really curious to watch this with the songs in English. Because Awaken Returner just doesn't have, like, the same vibe as Mizame Returner. No, it, it really doesn't. And uh, I don't mean to, you know, poo-poo on the talents of the the, the dub singers. Because I think they do a, a perfectly fine job. It's just that, you know, the, just the Japanese songs just sound a little bit more polished. You know, they, they flow a little bit better because that's the native language that they were meant for. So, it, I mean... It, the dub songs aren't terrible but you know they don't really hold a candle to the japanese ones i think a prime example i think a prime example i can think of is uh i don't know if either of you i don't know if either of you have watched it but kaguya song uh love is war season three they also had a rap episode where in that episode they actually had the dub actor uh do the rap section and they tried their best I give them the, their props, but they just couldn't get the natural flow that was in the Japanese uh, recording. So I'm hoping that it's just they did the dub voice lines, but when they got to the rap, they kept the Japanese because it's just it's hard to match the same sort of flow and energy that you get in the original performance. Yeah, mm. I. That's and I I like and and that's definitely not a dig on like dub dub cast at all. It's just that Japanese is not all languages don't parallel each other neatly, and no. Japanese is one where like you can have a set of kanji and they can be one word or they can be a lot of words, and I I do think there is some merit to like mixing both, because also not all not all not all voice actors are singers. Um, and I, I think we've certainly, if if you're someone like me who tends to watch a lot of dubs, there's certainly been some dubs where you're like, ooh, okay, someone was not a trained singer, <laughs> um, but they were put in a right. role where they had to. So we mentioned this this rap battle. So basically, basically, not not only is it a rap battle, it is a rap battle that they are doing at a local saga nursing home, and I think <laughs> that is what citizens. makes 
That's right, for all of the senior citizens. And basically, it's like this boiling point, where up to this point, you know, the girls, they've all been forced into this group against their will. They have no camaraderie, no cohesion whatsoever. And Saki, being sort of the, the 90s delinquent uh, Sukeban, you know, girl with an attitude, is probably the least likely one to come around first. And the reason they have a rap battle is because Sakura basically gets fed up with her crap. And basically their their final confrontation comes in the form of this incredible rap battle that Yugiri Sakura. plays the Biwa along with and Kotaru beatboxes. And it's truly an anime's greatest scenes of all time kind of moment. And at the end where she tells senior citizens to rise up and don't and don't and don't get stepped on and just like have your own agency it's so it's so incredibly funny i do want to clarify she is playing the shamisen i believe oh excuse me and i I... know that because i play shamisen too oh well look at that you could uh you could play along with the uh with the episode yeah i just gotta find a truck and then i can really become a zombie in authenticity (laughs) <laughs> hopefully later it. rather than sooner yeah you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah no well I, I, I guess i guess i just said biwa because i still have uh inuo on the brain mm, no i i think that's so funny when they're like rise up elderly <laughs> like, <laughs> like the elderly people are just clapping along just and no one questions ty's head flying off it's just no i mean <laughs> They're senior citizens. Their their eyes sight has degraded after a while. You know, they've they've seen it all, or or haven't seen any of it. Yeah, I think, kind of, uh, with the rap battle, what is a great bit with that sequence, and also as the series as a whole, is that it allows each members of our uh, of our group, friend Chuchu, to shine. Where. It, most of them get a spotlight and that's how it is for most episodes where usually one member gets the spotlight of said episode like right. one one two episodes that i remember for for the series as a whole are all the tai chan episodes those are mm-hmm. really entertaining because she's still in zombie mode and so you don't know how she's going to interact with people or how people are going to treat her and uh, i especially love the her solo episode in the second season where she keeps just getting into these situations by happenstance. It's like a kind of like a Rube Goldberg machine where she gets in a dance contest somehow. Then she's, she gets some money from that. She somehow ends up at a betting race horse race track (laughs) where she's able to win a bunch of money. Just by happenstance, it's not like she did this on purpose. It just it seems to lead from one event to the next, which is just really entertaining. And uh, that that follow up in sec in the second season with Ty with her episode is a great callback to one of my favorite like goofy episodes from season one, where they have to do basically like the um what is it like the the sports day like the relay oh, yeah. like in all the mud or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and like the the mascot of Drive Through Tori is like this man dressed as a chicken, but it's like 
it's it's conveyed so ambiguously like you don't really know if this is a man dressed as a chicken or just like an inexplicable anthropomorphic chicken walking around and that's kind of part of the joke and like ty goes nuts for this guy during the uh the sports day episode and like he shows up and he's the one that she battles in the in the dance competition in season two so incredible cohesion here it really is also that chicken mascot is the actual most terrifying thing in this entire series more scarier than zombies ever could be for sure (laughs) no i i talking about the uh the episode where ty just gets to go out and like wins inexplicably a lot of money the funniest thing to me is that she's she's supposed to be going out to get ingredients for curry (laughs) all this (laughs) other stuff happens um and she walks home with enough money to pay off all their debts Yes, that, like, basically solves, like, the entire central conflict of season two. Yeah. Uh, which we'll, we'll kind of talk about how they get there uh, shortly whenever we wrap up uh, season one. But that that is hilarious. Like, the, again, just the, the comedy in this show is immaculate. It's very, very funny. So we've talked a little bit about, or we've talked mostly here about, like, the show at its at its brighter very comedic very silly very over the top moments but are there there's certainly a lot of uh, elements of this series from like a more serious emotional angle that people have really resonated with so for for you guys what are what are some of the the moments for the characters that that really hit you in the feels i think i think like junko's entire arc um is is one that like they did really well and is is quite quite a dark arc at times because junko junko being an idol in the 1980s is really interesting because that's what's kind of known as the golden age of idols that's really when idol culture as we now know it kind of started Hmm. um because idols are a product of japan's bubble economy right like they're they're Mm -hmm. they kind of come out of this time of like you know everyone's got money everyone's spending money it's really opulent um and it's just there's something so sad about like her you know being resurrected like 30 something years later and just being so out of time and i think it's kind of the same a bit with um eyes arc because i is a 2000s idol and like her group is still around like yeah iron frill is still around and like um, later on, I know in season two, like there's an encounter where she kind of has to face that. And both of mm-hmm. their arcs really resonated with me because they're both two girls who have been in the beginnings of the industry. And that industry has so brutally left them behind. <laughs> like they're right. remembered, but like, you know, when they come back, they don't get to step back into it as themselves. They just kind of have to masquerade as, oh, we're two girls who happen to look like these two famous people. <laughs> and like there's something really sad about that but the way that the show ultimately resolves it and kind of like helps them to cope with that i think is really beautiful yeah because because basically you know the way that they come to terms with a lot of these anxieties of feeling feeling displaced is by finding that new family within the girls of franchushu mm-hmm. like realizing that things are different and they're never going to be the same for them. It's never going to be back to what it was 
what it was whenever they were alive. But they come to sort of realize that their found family is kind of exactly what they needed at this point. Exactly. Because they're, they're in a weird way. They're more out of time than someone like Yugiri, who literally is from the 19th century. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, and who you would expect to be like more out of time. But Yugiri is actually quite comfortable. Like she certainly seems she, that she way. She adjusts pretty well, like better than she I does. would. She she's also older. You know, her life experiences are very different, and she's not given the same kind of like. I think, I think kind of what you're touching on is like the idea of like Junko and I sort of feel this very different kind of loss because they can see the remnants of how things used to be. Exactly. But it's yeah. not. It isn't the way things used to be. Whereas Yugiri, it's like a clean slate. It's like, oh, things are so different. She might as well be on Mars. Right. Because right. like Yugiri's role as an Oiron, like, I mean, being an idol has nothing to do with that. So like there is that no. kind of like, yeah, you know, it's, it is what it is. But yeah, Junko and I, it, they're mu- it's, it hits closer to home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate the respect that the show takes with that. Because like, yeah, if you got brought back to life, and you had died even as a 2000s idol. Like, yeah, it, the industry has changed a lot, but in some ways the foundation is still quite the same. And like, that would suck. <laughs> it would just suck. It'd be yeah. so sad to yeah. wake up and like, you know, realize that you've been passed by all because what I think, I think I, she, what, she dies by being struck by lightning and Junko dies yes. from a plane crash. Like, it's yeah you know these two things that you can't control and now you're now you're back but you don't get a second chance as yourself yeah you have to kind of adopt a new identity and about the lightning strike thing you know we've talked about mizame returner before but they use that lightning motif (laughs) to create yet another incredible gag where during another concert in season one and i believe and in season two as well yes they perform outside and the stage gets electrocuted it's something that would kill a normal group of idols but we're not dealing with a normal group of idols so they get all electrified and it basically becomes like a like a electronica like it, it auto-tune-esque remix auto-tune yeah that's the word of mazame returner and the and the other song that i cannot remember but uh in just incredible creativity there yeah it, it's really putting the electric in mazame which returner is a, yeah it's 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 the funniest thing because you don't you just don't expect that no <laughs> Like, my mouth my mouth was agape at the creativity whenever so I saw funny. that. It's so funny. It's so incredibly funny.
I say this because I was spoiled and my first idol anime was my friend who showed me the 2011 idol master anime which he which was before the transition to cg really so <clears throat> i would say the concert sequences which are primarily in cg 3d look pretty okay but i still find it pretty jarring when they do these 2d most of the shows like 2d sequences and then when they go to the concert sequences it's full 3D CG. And I understand that from a production perspective and an economic perspective of why they do that. But I, I guess I wish Idol Anime would go back to we're either going to animate maybe one dance sequence very well in 2D or we'll use a lot of stills. I, I love a good still animation shot. <laughs> and unfortunately, they don't really do that anymore. Uh, so that for me, that's that's one minor knock I have on the series is just... While I enjoy the concert sequences and they're a lot of fun, that tr- that transition from 2D to 3D CG was a bit jarring for me. As much as I sympathize with your desire to uh, return to tradition, if you will, I think probably 2D animated idol dances are probably a thing of the past, but I think we can probably confidently say that there are examples of doing it in 3d cg that are way better than um what we see on display in Zombieland saga and like you said it's not so bad but it's probably just like anything a reflection of time and budget yeah it's but, it's it's the standard now yeah yeah doesn't mean but i I've don't have like, to like it <laughs> that's true but uh <laughs> Like, I've seen some examples of, like, uh, dances from, like, uh, more recent Pretty Cure endings that are, of course, all 3D CG, but they're really, really impressive. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's amazing what just a short amount of time can do to sort of elevate that art form specifically. So probably one of the characters that, if you haven't seen Zombieland Saga, you've probably at least heard about through, like, articles or parliamentary hearings <laughs> is, uh, of course... Lily Hoshikawa, who got a lot of notoriety for being like a fairly positive representation of a transgender character in anime, which is not particularly common. So, um, you know, Sai, I would like for you to speak about this. What did you think of Lily and how do you feel like they handled her story? I love that she dies because gender dysphoria (laughs) i think that is is the funniest thing and the most relatable thing is that she sees that she is growing a facial hair and her poor sweetheart stops and like i love that when she comes back as a zombie she's like i get to be eternally cute (laughs) i think that's great i think she's a really lovely caring example of what of of what a character who is trans can be because like i mean a lot of anime representation centers not around like trans masculinity or even non-binary characters um but more so like when uh, trans women are kind of who you see prevalently and right. and the it, it, they're not trans women are not treated kindly in anime trans feminine people are not treated very kindly in anime um they kind of get turned into a joke um mm-hmm. there are certain words that get used with characters who are feminine 
and trans or who who might be trans coded and Lily's just this really great example of like it's a very natural explanation like no one makes no one no one reacts in like a oh my god kind of way like everyone's just like oh that makes sense really sorry that that killed mm-hmm. you but you're a really yeah, cute they... girl now <laughs> Yeah, the whole group basically like whenever they find that out. I mean, there's the, there's this initial shock because it's it's different than what they thought, but they basically just accept her outright. I think Saki says something like, "Well, we're all zombies. It can't get any more odd than that," or something like that. Yeah, and and it's it's really lovely. And then I I love that she gets to sing to to her father, who like, you know, I. The anime never really outright says, but I I have to presume her father knew, right? Like her father, her father's pretty on it in the episode Mm -hmm. that kind of like Lily gets centered on in season one. Like her father is, it's pretty obvious that like this is his daughter. And it's just really lovely that like she just gets to be, she just gets to like get a happy ending because a lot in, in, in the real world, like a lot of trans women right now aren't getting happy endings the world is being quite cruel and so like i i really love lily and i love that she got brought up in british parliament so good (laughs) i I love that she got brought up in british parliament that is so funny to me and recently by uh by the 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 prime minister of turf island on twitter uh It, it is it is so funny um because like and i mean like you know it i i will say when i watched when i watched this lily is kind of like i mean lily is rocking the trans flag colors by mm-hmm. and large so like it was re- having that affirmed feel felt really good because you know like i said like trans women don't really get that representation but i i i just love i love everything about her she's a great kid <laughs> she's a she's a wonderful yeah. kid um and I think I think she's really good, solid rep. Yeah, and she she adds this dynamic to the group that is, you know, again, I mean, we could say this about every character, but she adds a dynamic to the group that's really different. Like you don't often see a lot of idol groups that have like actual kids in it. I know why yeah. that would be very problematic in sort of a real world context, but with anime, it's not quite the same. But so she she's like the the kid of the group, and you know, we have the older. Yugiri of the group and they all they all bring such unique flavor and it also makes the songs sound really unique as well because we have these mature voices also singing right alongside these very childish cutesy voices and it, it adds mm. such a great texture to the whole thing it really does uh, mm. and, a, and a nice thing about her character is that her her gender is never the butt of a joke because usually a, a transgender coded character are usually like the butt of like oh gross jokes which are really bad and old at this point and it's nice that they just treat lily as she wants to be treated and that she yeah. doesn't have any like awkward or really cringy jokes which other anime would have um, would have done yeah i i like that too because like you're, you're right like a lot of anime the joke is like, oh, you're a girl, or, you know, there, there's some sort of misgendering that happens a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And it's it's nice that this show never steps in that. Like, 
it it just fully avoids it. It's just like, nope, we're not here to do that. That's not funny. We're not going to do that. There are other funny things about Lily that are not her gender. (laughs) That's right. And I think the, I think kind of like what you said about her being, you know, her dying because of the shock that she doesn't want to sort of grow up and go through puberty and be something that she isn't, uh, is like, is a joke, but it's like a joke very like honest and true to her life experiences. Yeah, it's not like it, it's not like making mm, fun of her, right? Because like the, the you know it's 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 a completely relatable thing, especially if you're someone who was assigned male at birth, right? Like I can't speak to that from a trans perspective, but what I imagine is like if you have always felt like your gender is misaligned with the body that you've been assigned socially. Yeah, seeing puberty happen would be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. that would absolutely be... I mean, that's that's heart attack inducing, even if your gender does align with your body, because those changes are so <laughs> visible and jarring from, you know, being 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 a kid. And so I do love that, like, it is a joke, but it's not at her expense. No. Um, because all of their deaths are kind of a joke. <laughs> like, <laughs> like who dies getting hit by lightning while performing? Who dies while getting hit by a truck? Um, the the only one, the, the only one that's like really not a joke at all is like Yugiri. She gets like beheaded by the army or something. Yeah, Yugiri's is Yugiri's is sad. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's is sad. straight up sad. We 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 got to talk about that two parter. Oh, we because anyway but can i talk about one of my favorite aspects of the lily episodes sure is that lily got to go toe to toe with the voice of conan and kiki let's go it was it was amazing i was so happy that episode was so good (laughs) yes that was a great episode so so sorry i don't know your knowledge of detective conan I'm a huge Detective Conan fan, and so when I saw that the voice of Detective Conan, let's see see if I can get this right, Austin, Mitsami Satakiyama, I think I got that right. I don't have it in front of me, but that sounds reasonable. I was going to say, that sounds, I didn't, I didn't realize that because I watched it dubbed. That's so funny. (laughs) Because like. L- little light Ozora, this child sucks. <laughs> He's so mean. <laughs> He's so mean. He's such a little jerk. Yeah. He's. I can. He's I. I can jerk. hear Conan's voice in my head though. That's so yeah. funny. So I I geeked out because she rarely does anything else besides Conan. So it was <laughs> nice. It was cool. Just like oh, I and just excited because this is a very opposite of a Conan character where. He's just, she's just playing a brat, a spoiled yeah. showbiz brat of, at the surface, I present this very pleasant, very calm, very nice to everybody persona, but no, I'm a jerk and I'm going to steal your song and uh, take number one, even though I don't need to be here. It That episode is so funny on a lot of levels, because first of all, the talent show is called Japanese Got Performance, which is just yes. America's Got Talent. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is great, but Japanese like got performance, love that. <laughs> but like, yeah, lights, light singing this like deeply like mature version, and then like Lily just breaks out into like a scat rendition. <laughs> it's so good. 
It's so good. And, and it's she, very like, even, cute. What does she do? Like, she has to make that decision at the very last moment because she didn't expect to be ambushed by this kid singing the same song she was going to sing. Mm-hmm. So she does this on the fly. What does she do? Like, rip part of her costume to yeah, make it look yeah. more fun? She adjusts her costume and then improvises an entire dance routine. Just, just just queen behavior like it's it's incredible like you drop this lily oh it's your crown <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's such it's such a good character defining episode because it it really encapsulates everything that is fun about lily which is that like she's a kid and she's like for i mean like you know chronologically she's like uh, almost 20 but sure. like physically she's 12 and like she kind of gets to live as a kid Mm-hmm. And she gets to live as herself in a way that, like, maybe in real life, had she kept on living, she might not have ever gotten that chance. And I think that's really, it all kind of comes to a to a wonderful conclusion when we get to see her just, like, improvise this little dance. <laughs> And I'm glad that you mentioned the, the, the guest casting of, of that particular character because in another episode in season two, uh, we get introduced to uh, a character named Mai Mai, who's a local high schooler, who's like a really big fan of Fran Shushu. Mm-hmm. And she joins the group for a brief period of time for like one song. And I was thinking, because I watched that episode dubbed for the in the first time I watched it. And I was like, you know what? I bet the reason they're making this episode is because someone really famous is playing this character and they wanted to bring her on for a song. And wouldn't you know it, it's Kanahanazawa. What? (laughs) What? Yep. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it. Because it seems like kind of a random aside. Uh, But I'm just like, oh, this totally makes sense that they just wanted to have like, you know, Kanahanazawa, this like super famous seiyuu, excellent singer come in for to do like a few songs with Fran Shushu and be like all right guys I'm out and dip I'm shook <laughs> I'm shook I knew the singing voice sounded familiar <laughs> yep and I um typically like uh for lack of a better phrase to say it like home wrecker episodes of shows to me are like some of my le- that's like one of my least favorite tropes that happens in like an a, like episodic TV, where like a character comes in and just like ruins everything for an established group, and I thought that's what that episode was going to be, but I was so pleasantly surprised that it really wasn't that way. Like, Mai Mai didn't come in with like a big head about herself, and everybody hated her. There was this this respect that she really did pay to the girls, and she wanted to do things right, and they were resistant a little bit but by the end they had kind of accepted her in 
And then she was just like, humbly, this is my last performance or something like that. So that yeah. episode, it played with my expectations a lot and I appreciated it for it. I really love that it parallels Sakura's own kind of like uh, zombification. Because like yes. Mai Mai, first of all, oh, Mai yes. Mai, poor Mai Mai, is just the clumsiest child, slips on a bar of soap. And it's Kotaro's that... fault. <laughs> it's Kotaro's fault. <laughs> and then I love that his first thought is, oh, I can't let anyone see this. I've got to bring her back to the mansion. <laughs> like he's automatically like oh i guess i got an eighth member for free <laughs> and like she's alive she's perfectly fine but like my mind just rolls with it and and it it really is a sweet episode because i i'm with you i don't like that kind of homeworker episode where like a new character comes in and you're like okay we are a lot of the way into the series it is not the time mm-hmm. but it does actually turn out to be this really sweet series about just this this kind of everyday high school girl who mm-hmm. gets to perform the coolest performance at her school festival and like that's a lovely memory it is and like you know she she along with sort of the extended cast you know they kind of do a big like kind of like re like a lot of the side characters show up multiple times in this mm-hmm. show for like big pivotal moments and she kind of gets to join that extended cast like with the uh, like the biker girl that Saki has like a tiff with and then becomes friends mm-hmm. with the um, of course our heavy metal super fans the uh, the other like re- elder <laughs> like aging radio host that Saki is a big fan of straight out of uh, Yakuza <laughs> right like all these characters like they get introduced they have these like one-off moments and then they come back for the big finale which is I love it when stories like really take their side characters seriously mm, and like reincorporate too. them into things that are bigger than their sort of one-off appearances. Yeah. Cause I'll say I did go back and forth on my, my, cause when she first got introduced, I was like, Oh God. Oh <laughs> God. And like, she does kind of grow on you like moss on a log. Kind of kind like her. I'm, I'm sorry. I've, I've, I always seem to do this, but I was not a big fan of, of the episode. Because Womp. we build up to this to this new character, we get her established, and then she's gone. I, I just felt like I, if you're gonna introduce a new character this late in the game, she needs to be a, a permanent character, and not just a one-off. If she's joining, well, I think the group. that's, I think that's the joke. It's like the fact that no, she I don't didn't... like the joke, but I don't you like don't the like joke. The joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, the, the joke became more understandable and more palpable when I realized that, like, oh, it's not necessarily a new character. It's like a, it's like a meta thing. Like, it's a guest singer kind of but dipping that's... in. Like, like when you would have, like a, like, a, like, a, like, a TV show that would have, like, a, like, a, like, a, like a famous actor dip in for, like, an episode. I, I guess. Is, I would... It... I, w- I would have rather I would have rathered it be someone not joining Francis Chu and maybe just a singer they met at a competition where they had to do like a group duet or something. I think I would have preferred that instead of joining the group. I can see both sides, right? Because like it 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 is what it is the seventh episode. 
in an order of like 12 episodes for the second season so like it does kind of come when you're like we gotta keep the momentum like true, true. um and that's kind of I, a central kind of issue with season two like it's not there's not a whole lot of forward momentum through it and kind of what we established earlier is like well okay so i guess in the ending of C, well, in the beginning of season two, they established that like Franchushu is really poorly off because their big concert at the end of season one mm-hmm. was basically like a like it went well, but it was so poorly attended they lost a huge amount of money and now they're horribly in debt and look, Kataro's super depressed about it yeah. and is being very unhelpful. Well, also like that snowfall caused the entire venue to collapse. <laughs> true you know they're on the hook for a lot (laughs) so true but like the central conflict of the whole season well one of the central conflicts because there's another one that we can talk about as well but is like the fact that they have all this money that they have to pay off and yet in a very funny joke ty is instantly able to solve that problem but it it does kind of kill the momentum the 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 pacing is a little bit rocky in that second yeah. season. It it becomes much more a series of like episodes where we get like these really interesting character studies, which I yes. like. Same. But but then like it 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 does you know once once Ty effectively like gets enough money for them to just kind of like <laughs> figure out their things, then we go into a two parter like you know with episodes eight and nine right. where like that takes up a lot of it. And then, cause I remember when I watched episode nine, I was like, wait, there's only three episodes left. Like, how are we going to, how are we actually going to finish this? Right. Um, because there's a lot that we still need to tie up and, and you're right. It does kind of have this pacing um, issue. And that two where... parter. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say where the, it, it has this pacing issue where like, there's a lot of interesting stuff. But it's just like, I wonder how this would have been if this had been, you know, if some of it had happened in season one. Yeah. Totally. Well, um, and Bill's Bill's about to rant about the Yugiri flashback two-parter, but apparently one of the reasons why they opted to do that and didn't, and kind of was, very, they were very coy about Yugiri's backstory in season one is because they simply hadn't figured it out yet. Like, that's... <laughs> That's basically that what some of the creators of, said. They that said makes that a in lot interview. of sense. Yeah, they were just like, well, we know she. we want her to be from X time period. We want her to be this type of character. But in terms of, like, what happened to her, let's kick the can for season two. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. Yep. Yeah, just that, that two-parter should have been released as, like, an OVA. <laughs> and not as part of the main core of episodes because while i enjoyed it on its own terms on its own terms it it feels like a samurai uh movie that would you would you would see or or, or a jedi dicky type period piece movie but totally it doesn't mesh with all the other episodes so it's a weird tonal shift Yeah. yeah and so as a as a as a whole I don't like that it's there. Individually, I think it's interesting, but it doesn't work in the tapestry of the work. Yeah, I feel you there. 
I do think one thing that's pretty cute about it is that they go out of their way to put like analogs of all of the Franchushu girls in the background mm-hmm. and draw attention to them. That was one cute little thing that I appreciate that they did. It it's a really it's a really nice touch. And I think what you were saying about season two, I think they just lose the narrative thread because at the end, when we're learning about how they were resurrected and what's what's at stake at the end, it just it feels like an info plot dump of like, oh yeah, we only have so much so much time to to get what we need to get in, just cram it into the final episodes. Let's go. We gotta get moving. We have we have our deadline. Well, and then they bring up this whole like prophesized like apocalyptic event that's gonna happen. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's gonna like, be that's gonna be probably a thread in the movie. <laughs> probably, yeah, probably, probably. And like I'm thinking, you know, because we get these hints of you know, well, why is Kotaro Kotaro personally invested? in this saving of Saga. Like, why did he specifically choose these girls? And like, I appreciate exploring that story, you know, figuring out why he is personally interested in doing this, but like the whole, I don't know, mechanics of it, I'm a lot less interested in. Yeah. It it very Um, much feels like a a writer who is a nerd and is just like, well, I have to explain all the details. And I'm just, no. Normal Are you saying viewers... that people that work on anime might be nerds? I know, shocker, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's kind of like how Gundam fans want to explain how exactly the Gundam works. I'm just like, that's, <laughs> not, that's, that, that isn't what the general public cares about. And if you try and do that, you're just going to turn people away. <laughs> yeah, I think there's it's something... I think it's the, Oh, good. Yeah, go ahead. That's my point. There's something much more engrossing about not knowing how the meat is made, but like being able to enjoy the dish itself. And and this Perfect. anime definitely in season two, they're trying to tell you how it's made. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Let them sing. <laughs> I just want to drive through, drive through Tori and eat the chicken. You don't need to tell me how it's made. Yeah, I don't need to see it being grilled. <laughs> nope. Nope. kind of is sort of a as we as we sort of wrap up here you know we one character i feel like we haven't really talked enough about is sakura oddly enough because she is our main character and in a way she's like the perfect pov character 
because like in the beginning she's basically a clean slate like she she wakes up and she doesn't have any of her memories at all so she's kind of going into all of this blind there's really no we don't really know much about her we just know that she was killed at one point and that kind of gives we kind of get a good feel of her personality as being this sort of like timid and cautious but still really wants to do a good job and really believes in this project even though she doesn't really know exactly why she's here or why she's doing it and then something happens in season one where like she gets all of her memories back and realizes that she was kind of a horribly depressed kind of aimless person in her real life and a lot of that sort of comes back to haunt her in a pretty significant way towards the end of season one. And I thought that was really tragic, but really palpable there in the end of the first season where, you know, all of these girls sort of the central tension is the fact that they know who they used to be and they have to cope with who they are now or who they feel like they, or or who they're going to be now. But Sakura's whole thing is, like, she was defined by what was happening to her in the present, but then the past sort of kind of tumbled all over that, and she had to sort of relearn why she was there in that moment. And I thought that was some really clever storytelling that sort of put her at at odds with the team there for a while. I mean, they eventually resolve it and work it out, but it it took a bit of going to get there. Yeah, because she... She she gets like I think it's like a week before the concert she gets hit by a car again. That's right. Just like, oh my god, girl, you've got to stop going out on the streets. Oof. Um, and I I do like it. I did like it because like Sakura up until then, she's remarkable in her unremarkableness. Like she's just kind of, as far as we know, she's just a girl. And then she's you get all this main con- character. I'm sorry, I keep referring everything back to Idolmaster, but she's she's Haruka. She's a Haruka clone where I'm the peppy, upbeat, kind of nervous character, but I really want to do well for myself and for the group and for everyone, and I want to look out for everybody. But there's nothing else to my character. And that's how she is for most of the series, where I like her, but she, she doesn't have another quirk like all the other members do. Yeah, and like this episode kind of really solidifies that like, she she isn't remarkable. Like, unlike, you know, all the other girls, she did not have a past as an idol. She was a quite lonesome and, like, you know, really, really kind of pessimistic person in her life. <clears throat> and then, you know, she she does kind of go into this depression because she's like, well, I, I'm not like you all. I can't, I can't make it as an idol. Like, my life was was not a life fulfilled. I didn't do anything remarkable. And I really love that Kotaro really comes through and is like, no, nah, I'm not going to give up on you. I, I'm not going to give up on you. And, and so does Tai. Tai is actually really the big motivator. Yeah. She's just like, I'm not going. And I mean, I love that she can't convey it through words, <laughs> but she sure can convey her feelings through actions. And like it, it's 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 really it's really nice it's really nice because Tai is the one person out of all of them that understands that like no Sakura doesn't need to be coddled in this like let her feel sad but we've got to get her back on track because we know her value because we're all this found family and we're friends 
And I, I really right. like that. I think I think it's a really solid way to end that first season. And and it gives our POV character an arc, right? It's like it, it, it takes it takes kind of what Bill said, just like she's she's she filled she fills this mold, but they intentionally added more there to make her just as well rounded as the rest of the cast. Mm-mm. And it and it works. It works really well. She doesn't really need more than that because like that kind of brings her back to being motivated and like that kind of carries her through mm-hmm. um the next season right totally because she's able to pull back from that and sort of mm-hmm. reflect on it to be able to help others yeah it's sort of get it's through really beautiful yeah totally so i guess you know that's that kind of brings us like, well, well, where, where, where do we find our characters here at the end, right? So, <laughs> at the at the very end of the show, you know, they, the, <laughs> because of course, you know, something big at the end has to go horribly wrong, right? So they're <laughs> yeah. they're trying to basically put on this redo concert of the one that failed horribly. They're gonna get their revenge, well. Austin. They're, they're gonna, gonna get their, their revenge. revenge. That's they're right. Gonna get, but they're 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 gonna get their revenge, and they have their big concert planned. But then I think a typhoon or a yep. hurricane comes through. And yep. what I love about that finale is that they don't get notoriety for their singing, but for helping the community of Saga yeah, and entertaining the children, helping people out in terms of uh, keeping food organized, packing stuff, mm-hmm. helping the elderly. I really enjoyed that sense of like, we're here to help our community and that's what builds the strongest bond between them and the people of saga and not mm-hmm. just their singing absolutely i thought that that whole ending was very unexpected yeah and very welcomed because it's like a totally different angle where it like it makes their whole journey not about you know, personal success, but about what they really can do to quote unquote save Saga. And that doesn't mean necessarily being great idols. It means like being really great people. And then there's the post credit scene. Yeah, that. <laughs> and then there's the post credit scene with the flying saucer that destroys everything. <laughs> and it's just like, okay. Huh. I'm guessing the movie will take place in space. That's my that's my best. Oh my theory. god! Oh my god! They go to instead Space of... Saga twenty one ninety nine. No, I was going to say Alien... instead of instead of a Returner, it's like Starlight Returner. Perfect. Or they have to face against an alien idol group. Aliens versus oh zombie. Please, please don't get my hopes up too much. I would love an alien idol group, please. That would be great. <laughs> like be they, so they good. haven't. That's one thing that they, they, they touched on it a little bit, even though the context is really specific. Like the idea of a rival idol group. Like Iron Frill is is a bit rival-ish in like that episode, but like they they come around. And like because of Eyes context, it's like not it's not really the same thing. So if they did if they did that as part of the movie, I would find that quite fun. Oh my god, I would um, love that. But another another sort of th- uh, we we didn't even mention this guy at all because there's there's one thread throughout like the whole series where there's like this reporter detective dude who's like 
investigating basically what we as the audience already know that a lot of these idols in Franchushu are brought back from the dead other public idols that ostensibly the populace should recognize but they don't I guess but he's basically putting these these pieces together and he's about to like go public with all of his findings and reveal everything but like he kind of decides not to whenever he sees what Franchushu like how good Franchushu is for the people of Saga he basically has like a complete 180 and decides not to that's probably why we didn't talk about him because his storyline is anticlimactic. <laughs> well, and also the the, the cataclysm just kind of destroys it. <laughs> it it did, but like I mean, it's a it it is a it's a central anxiety that we as the audience feel like is coming at some point. Like there's always this underlying feeling that like oh, somebody's gonna figure something out, and like they they play with that tension throughout the whole thing. And I guess you could probably make the argument that it's a little bit unsatisfactory to the end. And you'd probably be right. But, like, it is, like, an interesting payoff. Like, he decides not to because he realizes how important they are to the community. Well, and decides not and, to share their secret. And we get we get that sequence when they're in the shelter and they lose their makeup. And yeah. they're afraid of just like oh no we're exposed what's gonna happen and all the kids there are like oh you guys look like zo- you guys look like zombies but we know you as yeah. franchature we still love you that's and right so that's kind of, that's basically your kind of payoff to that tension right. you did fail to mention the horrific clay mask that they make that they think is going to be a better <laughs> solution to True. not revealing that they're zombies <laughs> they they try to get really good at baking clay in like an afternoon. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, is there anything else about the show that we want to mention before we kind of wrap it up here? I mean, I think we've covered like most everything there is to cover about this show. There's probably some things we've forgotten. I mean, it's overall it's still a really good show. Like I highly recommend it. Same. Like it's it is easily like I mentioned this whenever we did like our our best anime. I think I mentioned this in our best anime of the decade podcast from a a while back, but it really is one of my favorite shows like of all time. It's probably in my top 10, if not on some good days in my top 5 because it's just so full of all the things that I love about anime, which is lots of heart, incredible characters, and really really entertaining. I'm glad I found a, another idol series that I quite enjoy a lot. Uh, I, I I feel bad because I'm I can be kind of picky with the idol stuff I watch. Like I've tried other franchises like Wug and uh, Love Live, and they never really clicked with me. I probably need to try some of the later Love Live seasons because that I don't, I tried the first Love Live season and then that didn't really work out for me. So I was happy that I found another idol franchise I really enjoy. We'll be happy whenever that movie comes out. We'll see which comes out first, that or or the Yuri on Ice movie. <laughs> what if they just release them in the same year? <gasps> I'll just implode. double feature. Ooh, <laughs> Crunchyroll. Yeah. Alternatively, a crossover: Yuri oh. on Saga and Zombieland Ice. <laughs> I'm here for it. Absolutely. I mean, they're both they're both on Kyushu. 
So like, hey, and why not? I mean, Sayo Yamamoto, are you listening? Yeah. Are are you are you still doing stuff? Please please let us know. We we miss you. Come back. We miss you. Please come back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both for for joining me to talk about this. It's been a really fun episode. So thank you, Bill, for being here as always. And Sai, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I we had a lot of fun. I think. Yeah, thank you so much once again for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, me too. We'll have to have you back on sometime. I would love that. Excellent. Um, So if you want to find more episodes of the Third Impact Anime podcast, you can, of course, visit our website, thirdimpactanime.com, where we'll have show notes for this episode and an index of all of the previous episodes that we've ever done. And you can find ways to support the show over there, including our Patreon. And we also have a public uh, Discord that is open and is free to join. There's a lot of really cool people in there that are fun to talk to, nice to hang out with. And you are invited to as well, as long as you are cool and not a jerk. Um, as for me, you can connect with me over on Twitter, at least for the time being, at BebopShock. I also have a Mastodon under the same account. And you can find the brand Twitter at TI underscore anime and on Instagram and Mastodon at Third Impact Anime. Bill, where can people connect with you on the internet? Uh, you can find me still on the Twitter at wb foreman f-o-r-e-m-a-n with three nines uh where i guess i'm tweeting stuff but i i would rather you instead of following my boring butt on twitter go check out the great work that anime feminist does they are they've been around doing a great work with their podcast and their uh their great website I, and they provide a really unique and interesting perspective to the anime community. I highly recommend checking out Anime Feminist. Very true. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> In addition to your fantastic publication, Sai, where can people connect with you online? Yeah, so I am most active on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at Pixelated Lenses. Um, I, that's, that's really where I'm at these days. I'm on Twitter until like, I'll be the last person on Twitter. <laughs> um, yeah, and that, that's, that's where you can find me most of the time. That's a lot of where I do my kind of public feminism. That's a lot of where I post links to things and share what I'm doing. So yeah, come, come pop into my DMs and let's have great conversations about the media we love. Is there anything, any projects specifically you'd like to plug on your way out? Um, I, you know what? There sure is. So I mentioned it earlier that one of the novels I've had the joy of editing is Qualia the Purple. And while I could push that, I'm actually going to push a different one that I've worked on. So last year I had the joy of working on my first autobiography as an editor. And it is called Until I Meet My Husband. It's by Nanasaki Ryosuke, who is... Uh, the first person in Japan to have a religiously recognized same-sex marriage. And it's a really, really insightful book that I really would love to see more people read. Especially if you are Mm. someone who's into LGBT media via anime and manga, but have wanted maybe something that's not like fiction. It's a really good nonfiction read. And that is, once again, Until I Meet My Husband. Um, And also as a companion manga. We will definitely have to share a link to that in the show notes. 
Well, thank you both again for joining me for this episode. And hey, you listening at home, go check on your Tamagotchi. Make sure it's not dead. And until then, nice bird.